Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And I'm Chris. And we are back with another new episode in the new year. So it's time for us to discuss 2020 and all of its glory. Yes. In this year's yearly review. That's right. How many times did I say year in that long run on sentence? At least 10. At least. (laughs) So uh, 2020 was, well, it was a thing. Yeah. So 2020 brought us lots of horror. That's right. And some great horror movies, too. That's also correct. (laughs) Frankly, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, because when they started closing movie theaters back in March and we didn't know when things were going to be opened and they started to adjust um, release dates and things, I was like, oh my God, we're not going to get anything this year. And so actually by the end of the year, I was pleasantly surprised with the amount of good horror movies that we saw yeah everything in my top 10 is uh, at least a four or above the same for mine right and i know that in previous years some of my top 10s had included some like threes or 3.5s yeah i feel like last year i was stretching a little bit for Mm -hmm. some of those so i mean and not to sound like a broken record because i think this is our third yearly review and each time we've done one we're like oh what a good year for horror but i mean that just means that for the last several years We've gotten some really top quality horror movies. Maybe we're just so abused by bad horror that we <laughs> we're just happy if we get one really good horror movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but no, it's been an embarrassment of riches over the last several years for horror movies, and this year was no exception. Oh, definitely. I would say this year was better than the previous two. I would completely agree with that as well. And I like to think that um, you know whatever filmmakers are going through right now will be channeled into their horror art and we'll be getting some fine work in the years to come yeah and i'm I'm not trying to say that the films this year were better than some of the best of the last two Mm -hmm. it's just that we got so many good ones right yeah it was um a collective Mm -hmm. a quorum yeah (laughs) so shall we begin yes let's uh do you want to start with talking about some of our favorite horror movies of last year well, I think a movie that Chris and I both really enjoyed quite a bit was His House. Yeah, and that's on my number one slot for, for my top ten, which we'll be releasing on social media and on Letterboxd, et cetera, et cetera, as this uh, episode releases and before, probably. Mm-hmm. you know. But His House is my number one pick, and I think it's like uh, in your top three. Yeah, it was number two for me last year, um, but I really, really enjoyed that movie. I, it was a solid five-star movie for me. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised by how much I liked it. I didn't know anything about it really going into the movie. Yeah. And I remember the night that I watched it. And after I was finished, I like messaged you right away. And I was just like, this movie is fucking legit. You know? And you watched it the same night, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... We've talked about it on Shooting the Flames or Hot Takes, I think, our last Yeah, I think we talked about it on a Hot Takes episode. Um, So we've discussed it at length, right? Um, But, you know, there's there's some really good moments in this movie. And overall, I just think it was a a fantastic horror movie. Yeah, super consistent. And something that I, I noticed as a pattern in my lists is that the movies that were just super consistent but ended really, really well mm-hmm. got you know higher and higher on my list. You know, yeah. I really appreciate a good ending in his house. It's a really, really poignant ending. I completely agree with you. Uh, my number one spot, actually, I mean, I guess if we're starting out high. I don't know why I did it that way, but uh, was Swallow. And this is something that I talked about way back in the spring mm-hmm. when we used to do Flamer's Favorites on Shooting the Flames. Like, it's that old. And... Um, it's just really stuck with me throughout the year. I really, really enjoyed it and its atmosphere and its performances. And, and it's really like oddball 
um like topic and it's not even quite a horror movie really it's more horror adjacent but um it's just really good and i really encourage people to go watch that another one of my absolute favorites of the year was the invisible man yeah i um that was pretty high on my list too i think i ranked that one number three yeah it's number two on mine and i think it's mostly because you know, I've had some experience with that issue, you know, um, in my family life right. and not, I, I, not really me personally, but, um, you know, someone really close to me and it really struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, really like emotionally kind of devastated after this film and like the endings makes it so worth it. And I just really, really appreciated the consistent quality and tension that invisible man had in some really, really awesome, scary moments and, and things like that. So I really appreciated Invisible Man. Uh, I only gave out two five stars this year for horror films, and that was His House and Invisible Man. So those what that's why essentially they're both of my top two. I think they're as good as they are important. Yeah, you know, versus I, I don't really like movies that are more important than they are good, which we'll get into later. <laughs> it, it happens from time to time. Yeah. I rated Invisible Man four point five stars, and I cannot <clears throat> remember why because <clears throat> it seems like it would have been a five-star movie right i think that i need to watch it again but yeah i mean like overall it was a, a really good movie something that i enjoyed watching and it's gonna hold a little special place in my heart really because it was the last movie that i watched in the theater in 2020 before yeah. everything got shut down you know and so like it's something that i'll always remember you know maybe not for the best of reasons but <clears throat> i think that's true of a lot of horror fans too like the last movie they really went to go see was invisible man and so i mean Lee one will always have that going for him. Another thing about our top two, my top two, I guess, <laughs> but they're also in your top 10, uh, especially about his house and invisible man are the performances. Yeah. I, I mean, like we've said it before on this podcast that um, Elizabeth Moss is just superb. Like every yeah. time we see her in something <clears throat> and she really had like two good performances this year, invisible man was one. And then she was in a movie called Shirley that released on Hulu that she got a lot of praise for, which is also kind of horror adjacent. It's about yeah. Shirley Jackson. Um, but yeah, she was fantastic in that. And so, I mean, she's still being floated around on some of these like predictive Oscar lists for both of those movies. Yeah. So, I mean, anytime that we have a performance or a horror movie itself, that's sort of being floated around as like, you know, Oscar worthy is, really satisfying to me the other standout would be Wonmi masako from his house so the standout performance of the year to me were two by two females just knocking it out of the fucking park yeah i completely agree she was really really good in his house there was that really emotional scene where she's sitting in that room you know with other women right and they're all sort of having this emotional moment together and it was just so like hard-hitting and outstanding like i thought that she was really the standout performance in that i will also say that um Haley bennett from swallow was really good right she really carried that movie and really sold it right i mean so this is a movie about a woman you know with the compulsion to swallow odd objects and yeah. i mean she she did a fantastic job I still need to see that. Very rarely do I not watch something that's so high on your list. Every time I see that trailer, I just get the heebie-jeebies and I get like kind of nauseous. And so I'm just like, Ugh. I think that's true for a lot of people, though. Yeah. yeah, they just don't like the idea of it. Right. And it's I mean, it's it's tough. There's some tough moments in that. So I can, I can understand. I appreciate the reasons why you haven't seen it. But, you know, continuing down our list, um, I think something that we both thought was probably the scariest film of 2020, it's neither of our number ones, but it's both of our top tens, mm-hmm. is Dark and the Wicked. 
Yes. Um, this is a recent watch for both of us, right? Well, I think it was recent released. I think it came out in maybe October or something. Yeah. And we had talked about this trailer on a Shooting the Flames episode. And the trailer looked a little scary. I think we remember talking about it. But I don't think that either one of us were sort of prepared for the level of like horror that was in this particular movie. Because I had to yeah. stop it halfway through and finish it the next day. I was that scared. So... <laughs> Yeah, it was consistent, uh, and it had this creeping dread the whole time, and it and it it did have really good pacing where it lets you have these breaths of pause, you know, in between these moments of of dread that just keep building and building throughout the film, mm-hmm. and finally ending at a kind of a crescendo, you know, moment. And uh, yeah, it was pretty terrifying. Yeah, I mean, there there was a lot of creeping dread and like setting, right? They talk about atmosphere up in here. There was like so much of it. So yeah. it was it worked on lots of levels, but I was terrified watching that movie. I gave it four point five stars. Yeah, I give it I give it a four. Another movie that I've talked about before on the podcast um, that I thought was great was Love and Monsters. So yeah, that that made it that eked into my top ten as number ten. Really, I'm so list. glad though because um I watched this movie and. I started it and I stopped it when got my husband because I was like, okay, this is something that we can watch together, right? Because yeah. listeners, if you recall, my my husband doesn't really do horror, and um, it just seemed like something that was up his alley, and he also enjoyed it. And so, like, this is another movie that I pretty much told you immediately, like, this is good. Yeah, yeah. if there's anything adjacent on our list, I think that would be it. Yeah, it's the most adjacent, I would say. Yeah, so, I mean, it's monsters. There's some gore. There's violence. Obviously, there's obviously a lot of horror adjacency there. But as far as like a pure horror movie, it's not like Dark and the Wicked or something like that. You oh know? no, no, no. But um, it's I had a little bit of trouble at the beginning of the film where I was kind of eye rolling and I was just like, really one of these. And then it just gets better and better and better as the movie goes through. And so if you stick in it, you know, or if you stick with it, I think that you'll really, really enjoy that film as well. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really more of like a family adventure comedy film. Right. And so but the the monsters in it are neat looking. I think like, like lots of the design was good. Yeah. And it's totally worth it. I mean, and it's just it's funny. It made me laugh out loud. Yeah. And there were some really cool moments in that. Mm-hmm. Continuing the tradition of kind of having a story about something else like um, his house was like really about like PTSD and mm-hmm. um, survivor's guilt and stuff like that, you know, but you know, just like in the past with like Babadook about, you know, loss and grief and, and other movies like hereditary and things like that. We also got a movie called relic. Yeah. And uh, I believe that is about, you know, kind of losing a loved one or even your own mind essentially to uh, dementia or, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, right? And so it's kind of a, an allegory for that. And it was done really, really well, in my opinion. A lot of people didn't really understand it because it gets really, really, um, I don't know, symbolic at the end, by the yeah. end, you know? So you have to kind of be on board for that. Um, but if you really, if you invest in the story enough, by the end, you'll be on board and you'll love it too. Yeah, I really, I liked Relic. I thought that it was a, a very well-made, well-acted movie. It didn't make it to my top 10, even though, you know, there were certain moments in that movie that I thought were very well done. And I don't know why. I mean, maybe because like, <clears throat> like we, we had some loss in my family this year and it was just a difficult watch or something, yeah. you know, but um, it's definitely something that I would revisit and something that I see, you know, the the commendable art that it actually is. I've lost someone to Alzheimer's, but it's, I've had a little bit of time yeah. between then and now, you know? So maybe that was the difference for us. But it was good. I mean, if we're talking about performances, like the performances of those three women in that movie. Oh God. So namely uh, Emily Mortimer, Robin Nevin and Bella Heathcote were just so good in this movie. All three of them together were just fantastic. Um, and there were some really scary moments too. Yeah. So, um, 
specifically, I think when the daughter is sort of lost in the house, right. And she can hear other people, which can't find her way out. Yeah. Like it's just like, it's really terrifying and claustrophobic and, and creepy. Speaking of scary moments, uh, tailored for 2020, I thought host did an amazing job of kind of capitalizing on, you know, those of us who are working from home and having to do zoom calls every day, (laughs) like myself, you know? And so I feel like host did a really, really good job and it's only like 50 minutes long and yet it's, it's really, really well done. Um, and I, I enjoy the crap out of it and it's in my top 10. I don't think it made it to your top 10. It didn't. In fact, I, I liked host. I thought that it was good when I watched it and I, I was scared watching it. Um, but for some reason, I feel like I'm the only person on the planet who didn't just like love it immediately. And out of every movie that came out this year, I think this is probably the one that I need to go back and watch first. Right. Cause I mean, I might've just been missing something. Well, no, I, I feel like it would be easy not to, if you're not, if you don't, if you're not on zoom every day for work and things like that, like it's kind of high concept and people will be like, what? This is stupid. This is like too easy of a permit, you know? But I think that for those of us that were just like in the thick of it, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the, in the, I think this came out just two or three months into the pandemic. Yep. And then this thing came out. I thought it was, was really great. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm not on, I have to go to work every day, like at an actual building and stuff like that. And like, I, the only person I ever video conferenced in 2020 was you to record podcasts. Right. And so I, mean, I don't have a lot of experience with it, but, um, I mean, I enjoyed the concept. I thought it was well-timed. I, I'm glad that people were doing something productive during their quarantine time, right? So it, I do want to revisit it because I, I do remember some scary moments. And um, I mean, really, a lot of people like it. It's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So a movie that you watched first this year. And, I, and so 2020 is kind of a different year for us at the Film Flamers because there's a lot of movies that I know are coming out that I want to see. And I mean, I would think that more often than not, I tend to watch them before you. Would you agree with that? Yeah. But 2020 was certainly not the case. There are so many movies that you watched before me and told me, go watch this movie. Right. And so one of my favorites of that you've done this year for that was scare me. Yeah. I watched that and I just thought, man, Robert's going to really enjoy the crap out of this because it's so reliant on its writing and its performances. Right. And it's fairly inventive in that way. And so I feel like if you're appreciative of those types of things, mm-hmm. then you'll really get a kick out of scaring me because it's so different and unique. Right. And so uh, especially with the performances by Aya Cash and uh, I guess the, the writer, director and actor in it. Yeah. Josh um, Rubin. Yeah. Who I'm used to seeing, you know, on YouTube, uh, you know, he's a comedian on YouTube, essentially for like uh, college humor and things like that back in the day. And I have I have no idea who either of these people were. Uh, I mean, know. Cash is, of course, on The Boys. Right. Season two. And I mean, I, I really, I mean, out of all the cast, I thought that she was the most excellent. Probably. There's like, mm-hmm. it's a four person cast in this movie, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I loved it. I thought that it was great. It was funny. Um, it was really entrancing in moments when they're telling their stories back and forth, right? And they do it in such a good way that it just relies on like sound or Foley work, right? But it's really a movie about the performances that they're giving. And I just thought it was so, so good. It did make it into my top 10 for sure. Yeah, it's actually the first one on my uh, special mentions, yeah. right? So it would be like a number 11 for me. <laughs> it was it was so good. And I'm so glad that you recommended it. Yeah. Another one that I recommended was Impedigore to you, right? Yeah, I because I, I watched that yesterday at the time of this recording. <laughs> I woke up at like 7 in the morning and I started watching Impedigore. So, well, I, mean, I thought it was really special. Indonesian horror, you know, is very mm-hmm. unique. Uh, in its setting and different settings within the movie, 
first of all. Um, you know, you've got kind of this, uh, you know, modernized tech world in Indonesia, and then they go into the the country essentially, which is still, of course, drawn carriages and stuff. You yeah. know, and uh, and there's this whole folklore and culture along with that. Um, you know, I had some issues with the ending, but it was very, very close to a four star, and it's my second special mention, honestly, on my on my top ten. But I think it's special. And I think everyone should watch it, um, at least to, to kind of increase their palate, I guess. You know, for for horror for 2020. And it was it was sort of like folk horror, right? Yeah. I mean, from an Indonesian standpoint. Yes. Uh, which is really good, right? And it's on Shutter, so I mean, like, it's very easily accessible. It was a good movie, and it was neat because I think Impetigor blends like the modern parts of Indonesia, or, you know, that country, along with like the more rural village areas, right? Because we have mm-hmm. two people from a larger city coming in with their, you know, city mentality to a small village, and like the dialogue and stuff was very modern you know and like one of the characters was really funny and i was like okay this is this is really good the reasons that impetigor didn't make it onto my top 10 mostly have to do with like some stuff like toward the end right i think the movie gets a little convoluted um and that's just like a writing issue honestly yeah it was interesting to me that it's in several different languages right so if you're watching it as a native indonesian part of it would still be in subtitles because mm-hmm. uh, the people in the country are speaking, or at least uh, many of them are speaking ancient Javanese. Right. Which I think was neat as far yeah. as like the plot of the movie went. Yeah. Um, so it was good. I'm glad that I watched that. Uh, there was a point in the movie where I was like, where's the gore in Impetigore? And you know, it, it shows up, you know, so don't, don't get too worried if you haven't seen some gore. It's definitely there. A lot of uh, flaying and skinning going on this year. Yeah, there was quite a bit of <laughs> like de-skinning, you know? So, um, yeah. I Well, you know what? We'll probably talk some more about that when we get to some of the movies that I didn't really care for this year, <laughs> right? But um, uh, another movie that you mentioned to me to watch early in the year was The Vast of Night. Yes, which I also really, really liked mm-hmm. quite a bit. Also pretty horror adjacent. Yes. I mean, yeah, because it was, it's a lot of things, really. You know, there's some horror in there, some horror adjacency. There's some sci-fi in there. There's some high drama in Definitely there. Definitely like a sci-fi horror X-Files thing going on yeah. a little bit. But again, it's a, a movie with a very limited cast that was just great and was really reliant, I think, not just on, you know, the performances, but there's a lot of aspects to that movie I thought were really good. Well, one thing that I really liked about it was just the amazing atmosphere and setting that Vast of Night had. Because that opening shot is one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie this year. It's one big continuous shot through basically through this town, introducing you to the town itself, mm-hmm. the different people and personalities that are there. You know, the tone, um, you know, it just really gives you a sense of like the layout of the town and who's all there and the vibe and everything else. And it was just such a, a great like set piece to have. And it was just such a free and floating camera that, you know, and the dialogue the whole that time, they could have just done visual storytelling, but there's a huge amount of dialogue that entire time in that opening shot. And it's just nonstop quick dialogue. And it was just so written so well that I just, I was just like, holy crap, anyone that appreciates writing is going to just love this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I liked it so much. I mean, it really does present itself as kind of like a stage play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I I really, I really appreciate movies like that. And I'm sure that I've said that before on the podcast, you know, so it's, it's not hard to pinpoint a movie that, you know, I will like. So it was one of them and I'm certainly glad that I watched it. Um, And I think that was, um, I'm pretty sure that was the first time director, right? 
Andrew Patterson? Yeah, I think it was. And, you know, really, there were a lot of first-time directors this year that made really, really good movies. So, Including Na- uh, Natalie Erica James from Relic. That that's right. We just talked about. And Remy Weeks, for his house, was also a first-time director. And, of course, the dual Jared Bush and Christopher Renz for Antebellum were first-time directors. You know, so we got, like, uh, some of the best horror movies of the year were by first-time directors. And I think that's kind of rare, right? Oh, I yeah. mean, I mean, we, as a horror community, sort of, like, rally around these people who have these, like, vast filmographies, right? So we had, like, the John Carpenters and the Wes Cravens of it all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for a year to really showcase, like, people's first work, at least feature work, right? Is amazing. Um, yeah, you're talking about the opening shot of Vast of Night. I think the opening shot of Antebellum was also like very well done. Oh yeah, just another long and take. ending shot. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, Antebellum really didn't make it into my top ten, but we had a whole segment on a shooting the flames episode where we talked about Antebellum and how like it sort of got shat on throughout like the professional film critic world, right? Yeah, out of all the films in my top ten, I would say that was shit on the most. And unfairly, you know, I would say, and I, I think it, we, we talked about that at length, right? And um, so it's definitely a movie to check out, especially for its like directorial effort. It's it's really, really good. Oh, yeah. What was one of the most surprising films to you of the year? For me, I believe that was would have been Unhinged. Yes, that was right up there as like one of the most surprising because, again, we talked about this trailer on Shooting the Flames back in the summertime and it was supposed to be and really turned out to be when it was released in the theater, like the only thing available for people to go and see. Right. Mm. And again, it's sort of like critically panned. Um, and I really didn't want to go see it just based on the trailer. Right. Well, I think it was like pop culturally panned because, you know, we were, we're seeing Russell Crowe and, and Hogbody. Yeah. <laughs> that's a reference. Not, that's not disparaging to Russell Crowe. We're not body shaming. To our outtakes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but he looks like he let himself go a little bit compared to his past. And it, it looks like it's just like a vehicle to try and get Russell Crowe back into the headlines or something. Like the trailer didn't do this film any service. No. At all. We made fun of it kind yeah, of ourselves. We sure did. So what's the official tomato score? 48. 48%. Yeah. And the audience score 77%. So it shows you that a lot of people, I think, were surprised about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is something that you didn't verbally tell me to watch, but I had pulled up Letterboxd and I saw that you had watched it and given it a four star rating. And I was just like, oh shit, you know? So I had to go watch it like right away. It made it in my top 10 just yeah. as one of my last watches. And I was just so shocked by it because it had such a good performance by Russell Crowe and pretty much everyone else in the movie. Um, and then essentially uh there's so many good moments in there where i actually kind of like blurted things out loud while i was watching it trying not to wake others in my household i'm, I'm completely there with you like i i didn't expect anything that i saw in unhinged um it was surprising there's like excellent moments and there were times that i like was so wrapped into it and it was so intense that my stomach was hurting right like it's, it's really good with tension mm-hmm. and like i'm a timid driver right and so like it really spoke to me and i'm just like this is why i'm scared when i get onto the road but uh yeah i mean i would agree with that uh, rotten tomato statement i think that russell crowe really does portray a, a watchable and engrossing villain oh yeah he was so good because there's it's not just a you know road raging white man he has a lot of like soft you know soft creepy moments you mm-hmm. know and and really like horrific like i was t- we were talking about this offline and um 
I told Robert that it reminded me of a cross between the Hitcher, obviously, and the Strangers, because there is that vibe of, you know, this person has nothing left to lose or something from like the Hitcher, but also is doing something just because it, you know, he was there. Yeah, that's know, the wrong, tagline wrong of the movie. He time. can happen to anyone. Yeah, and it's true. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he is at all a sympathetic villain right but they they try a little bit to at least explain some of the motivations just behind enough. what he's doing yeah. yeah just enough to to get it you know he's he's done with his life essentially you know mm-hmm. and it does a little bit better job than like in the hitcher especially the new hitcher yeah it kind of alludes that something similar happened to sean bean's character yep. you know this they do a little bit better job you know so you're not constantly asking like or scratching your head you know mm-hmm the opener for Unhinged was something I didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, from the get-go, the movie was good. It, it is by far, out of every new horror movie that I've seen in 2020, and I think I'm sitting right around 46 new horror movies, um, it was the most surprising to me. Yeah. Because I had, like, the lowest of expectations, <laughs> too, yeah. and it turned out to be so good, you know? I'm, yeah. So I need to learn from some of these things. Um, I will say that there are a lot of movies this year that were surprisingly funny for horror movies. And in a year that 2020 was, I was appreciative to see some of the comedy, the horror comedy that really came out. Because I feel like they were more than usual mm-hmm. this particular year. And one of the ones that I liked quite a bit that I think that you um, didn't like as much was Freaky. Yeah. I, no, I, I it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which time. And I really, you, you really wanted me to see that. I you did. You sat me down and we actually watched it together. Cause I like, I laughed my ass off when I was watching it and it, it felt like such a good throwback horror movie. And I, I rated it really highly when I first saw it. And I just was telling everyone, Oh my God, go watch this movie. It's so funny. Right. And since I've seen it two times now, I've sort of like lowered my rating a little bit. Cause I think I was just in a really happy spot when I watched that particular movie, you know, mm-hmm. but uh Yeah. And, um, so, so, I mean, that I could have colored it a little bit. I still think it's a good movie and it still made my top 10 mostly because I did laugh a lot. And I really think that again, performances by Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton were good. Yeah. I were, don't like Vince Vaughn. No, ever. no, me either. Um, but we had quite a few of those. The, the babysitter killer queen is actually in the middle of my top 10 yep. and it made me laugh a hell of a lot. It sure it strikes the a tone and it really skirts a, a razor's edge there and it might fall off for a lot of you. But for me, like it worked. I, I think based on what I've seen on social media about babysitter killer queen is that you either like love it or you hate it. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just one of those polarizing movies. I loved it. I thought it was funny. I laughed and laughed and laughed. I also laughed at the hunt. Really, like that was sort of unexpected for me. I I thought that it was going to be something, and it wasn't. You know, so again, a trailer like didn't do it justice. It's it's a really a satirical kind of horror movie. Um, it didn't make my top ten, but I mean, I I thought that it was good. I thought the performances were funny. Something that I thought was okay, that was pretty good, uh, that I recommended to you to watch was Extraordinary. Right? Yeah. Um, is that did that make your top ten? It didn't make my top ten, but it's super close. Like it's so close. Like it may be an eleven or twelve. I have to look at my full list. But uh, I fucking died every second of that movie. I was laughing and I, it's just so funny from start to finish. And I'll, it's goofy, you know, like they were really going for it. It's a comedy before it's a horror movie. Yeah, certainly. It's and, like a rom-com uh, horror. Yeah. yeah. And but it was just hilarious to me in a really goofy airplane, naked gun kind of way, you know. And bit, yeah. I appreciate that kind of comedy. So it was good. I'm glad. I'm glad that I watched that one. Another one that had a horror in equal measure of comedy, depending on it, it was an anthology called The Mortuary Collection. 
Now, technically, Mortuary Collection came out in, I think, 2019, but it wasn't really widely released until 2020, so we're considering it a 2020 release since pretty much no one saw it until 2020, I think. Uh, there's actually a couple movies on our list that you know were in festivals and things like that in 2019, yeah. but as always, when we do a yearly review, these movies got a wider release in 2020, and this one was um, put onto Shudder as a Shudder original. They purchased the property. And I mean, yeah, there was lots of comedy in that movie as well, right? They they kind of struck a balance between comedy and horror in a way that like Tales from the Crypt would do. But there's there's like a a really funny segment in there where a frat guy gets pregnant after having some sort of sexual conquest. And it really just made me fucking giggle the whole time. And he has to give birth through his sexual organ. That's right. So, (laughs) I mean, it's funny. It was surprising. I thought that uh, Clancy Brown did a really good job in that movie. I love Clancy Brown. Yeah. I I mean, so this is something that I think people should go and watch as well. It's on Shutter. Go go check it out. What were some of your least favorite horror movies this year? You know, and I hate talking about movies that I don't like, so we'll try to make this as brief as possible, but I have a larger list of movies I didn't like than usual. So 2020 had some of the best movies and some of the worst horror movies for me. Um, I'm going to start with The Grudge. Yeah, which that's on my, I have a very short list of only two films. Oh, wow. The Grudge is one of them. Okay. As far as my least favorite. Things I rated less than three stars, right? Uh Uh-huh. So we did a hot take on The Grudge. This came out in January 2020, and we should have just known. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, every January is known kind of be the dumping ground of bad horror. Right. You know, but this one especially, you know. It was just not good. No. If you're going to watch one movie this year where an old woman chops her fingers off... (laughs) Watch the dark and the wicked. Watch the dark and the wicked. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I think a movie that we were going to do a hot take on, and for some reason you didn't get to go see it in the theater, was Gretel and Hansel. Oh God, Gretel and Hansel was so fucking boring to me. I just, just couldn't do it. Ugh. See, I really loved the direction of it. The cinematography was so beautiful, and I love seeing Alice Krieg, uh, who played the Borg Queen. Uh-huh. and several other things she's she was i think in like um a stephen king adaption for like cat people or something she was yeah she, what the fuck is sleepwalkers sleepwalkers yeah. yeah and um a couple of, she's she's almost like a piper Laurie, you know she can do that you mm-hmm. know yeah she's she's very um but she was she was really really good in this and i liked the premise i liked the story um just something about it was a little bit too slow and the beginning was kind of like unevenly shot yeah you know the way it was shot and so uh i don't know i feel like um re-edited or something like it would be an infinitely better movie but i still really really appreciated the technical aspect of the film and performances and what they were trying to kind of do right yeah i mean and, and i get that you know and i have said before and i will say again that if I, if I don't like a movie i i will go back and rewatch it at some point maybe just to see if i was right the first time and i could rewatch this one but i mean i saw it in the theater and I was bored and I, I mean, there's not that many times in my life that I've contemplated asking for a refund. Right. You know, so I'm wow, like, that bad? I didn't know you yeah, I gave this movie like two and a half stars and I don't really rate movies very low always. So I just didn't like it. I think even at the time that you told me that I would like it more. Yes. I mean, cause you oftentimes will appreciate movies, even if like the plot is kind of thin or whatever, like you, you appreciate things on a technical level, like much more than I do. An aesthetic level. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, 
like I just I didn't have any vested interest in the characters at all. And if I don't have that, then I just cannot like a movie. It's just yeah. impossible. I think the same thing goes for the grudge. People were dying left and right. And I was like, well, I don't really care because I don't like any of these people. Yeah. You watch things on more of a human level and I watch them on a robotic soulless level. I wouldn't go so far as to say that. <laughs> I mean, like. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so what's the other movie that was on your least favorite list? La Llorona. Uh, not The Curse of La Llorona. I actually didn't see that. I haven't uh, seen that. It got there. really like kind of panned and I just never got around to seeing it. Uh, even though I saw a shit ton of horror movies this year. That's one of the few that I never got around to see. I think that and Swallow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but La, La Llorona is the Shutter exclusive, I believe. Uh-huh. And um, it's 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 one of those movies that's more important than it is good. It's about really, you know, trying to you know, bring into focus and awareness, like uh, I, I believe like the Guatemalan mass, you know, mass genocide Yeah, um, from the eighties or whatever. They've just discovered like the mass graves in the news. Like this is real life news and mm-hmm. stuff. It's kind of a story about uh, the, the general that was kind of in charge of that or had planned it out and his family and how the family's kind of coming to grips with the reality that their, you know, husband, father, grandfather, might have done this, you know, and then there's this kind of ambiguity of La Llorona kind of floating around and, and there's a lot of weird abstract, like ambiguity around that. And then it's not ambiguous. And then it, it, you know, it's, it's really like, I have to watch it again, I think, because I think I'll, I'll raise my rating, but I was bored yeah, because I kept waiting for something like horror supernatural to happen. And and it does, but it's such a slow burn, but now I understand what the movie is. Mm -hmm. Because I went in expecting a La Llorona story, and it's right. not. It's not a La Llorona story at all. It shouldn't really have been called that. you know. But it's really kind of the spirit of vengeance against this person, I guess. But taking the form of like a La Llorona. But anyway, whatever. Just go see it. I'm curious to see what people think. Um, I'm, I'm one of the few people that rated it lower than like a three or a four. It's on a lot of people's Because a lot of people really loved it because of how important it is, right? But just like... A lot of other movies that just didn't entertain me or bored me that are more important, they're good. And like for me, Moonlight is a good example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some others, you know, but this is one of those and it got a two star for me. I haven't seen it yet. So, um, I mean, I will watch it eventually. This wasn't really high on my watch list. Yeah. My cardinal sin is if I'm bored, right? Yeah. And, and well, so, and I would agree with that too. I mean, if I'm bored in a movie, then it's just not, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And that, that happened a couple times this year for I me. Definitely want to acknowledge how important it is though. You know, it's just to me. So it, you would recommend people to watch it for its importance. Uh, I would recommend yeah. people watch it based on everyone else's rating, but mine. Yeah, you know, and how important <laughs> is the story is it's trying to take across for awareness. I think the awareness play is very important. You know, um, and obviously, I think more. You know, everyone else is going to enjoy it more than me based on the ratings I'm seeing. But I was bored, so that's all I can say. Well, and like the the last three movies that are on my like least favorite list also have to do a lot with boredom right um so one of them was the books of blood this is sort of a hulu original based on clive barker's short stories which it turns out the trailer was amazing yeah the trailer is good you know and then it turns out that the stories in this anthology movie were not based on like already written clive barker work it's like new clive barker work and stuff and i'm like okay um but yeah, I just I didn't I didn't have a good time watching it. I was bored mostly. Again, I didn't like any of the characters in it. Mm. And I like horror anthologies. And I was just like, this is just not for me. So I think I gave that like a, a two star rating. It's not good. Um, 
Another one is something that we watched recently together, and that was Hunter Hunter. Yeah, last night. That's right. <laughs> super recently. Yeah. Um, I was super bored in this movie, and again, I didn't really like any of the characters, and I just I didn't really care what was happening throughout the movie. It wasn't until the end of it that yeah, it, it, they have to be careful when a movie kind of resets your expectations of what it's about. You know, like a like an early twist, yeah, I guess, versus like a late twist and a plot that you're already used to. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this movie's not really about what I thought it was about. You know, and I could have used a better synopsis or maybe even watching a trailer or something to help set my expectations. But I still gave it a three star because I did enjoy it and the cinematography was really good. I did care about the characters, but they just didn't pull it off in in a way that I think was the most effective. And so I, I would agree. I, I definitely commiserate with your with your rating there. I think the thing I've learned most about watching movies in 2020 is that when they, they create all these buzz words around it and it's like pre-marketing, right? So so many times this year we've seen movies that people are like, oh, it's shocking and it's, you know, it's going to like shock you to your core as a horror fan. And then, you know, I get super excited about stuff like that. And then I sit down to watch it and I was like, I'm not shocked by this. I have seen this before. In fact, I can like name off movies that have actually shocked me and this wouldn't be one of them. Another example of that from this year would be Possessor. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, it's just something that I was looking forward to oh, since man, the summer. So much. I would love, you know, a good sci-fi horror and yeah. it didn't do it for me. The whole time I was watching Possessor, it was like, I'd rather be watching fucking, um, what's that Lee one L movie? That's so good. Upgrade. Yeah. I was like, Upgrade is a much better sci-fi tech movie, sci-fi tech horror movie than mm. Possessor was to me. And I think a lot of that is just like, it's Cronenberg's son and there's lots of like, you know, family. Well, the premise was so fucking good. Yeah. They could still make movies with that, with that premise. And I, w- I hope they do mm. because this was just a little bit too involved with this one particular woman versus the premise itself. And it had a lot of good actors in it. It's just, it didn't. They didn't clench it for me. I will caveat by saying that um, I don't think either one of us watched the uncut version. No. Right. That's true. Because it's not available on Amazon. Nope. So um, if I rewatch it, I will seek out the uncut version and just see if I liked it any better. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think so. I didn't rate it low. I think I gave it like three and a half or four stars because I think technically it was a good movie, but yeah. it's just not my favorite. Yeah, I give it a three, I think. Uh, another movie that I liked maybe a little bit more than you was The Lodge, but I think I think it's one of the the on your short list of worst movies for you. Yeah. So we also did a hot take on The Lodge this year, didn't we? When it was released on Hulu. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I didn't. This movie didn't make me feel good, you know, at all. It's it's a fucking drag, and I mean it's even bleak looking throughout the movie. I think the one standout was that you know that the main actress performance you know was was good. But I mean, like mostly I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just over evil children. Well, there was a twist that we kind of saw coming a mile away. Too, yeah. Oh yeah. We totally familiar did. With horror tropes, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and something that does it better is probably better. Watch out. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Which, you know, honestly, we're right after Christmas and, you know, I've never seen so many people on social media talk about better watch out before this year. And a lot of people don't seem to like it. And that makes me sad. Well, you, your movie better be super, super fucking interesting if it's joyless. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't interesting enough uh, to, to surmount the sheer amount of joylessness that the lodge had, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it really was joyless just ridiculously. 
I do want to call out just a couple more horror performances since we haven't talked about like the movies or shows, you know, really in depth on this particular episode. Mm -hmm. But I think that there were a couple people who did some excellent work in horror movies this year. And one of them was Tania Miller from The Haunting of Bly Manor. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily a horror movie, right? This is a series on Netflix, but it sort of presents itself as, as a movie when you watch it or binge it. And uh, she was just phenomenal. I mean, I, just as an actress playing a character, I thought that it was really good. Possibly like one of the best horror performances of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. I really liked I think I think she was the easily the standout from that. For sure. Mm-hmm. I also think that Jim Cummings from The Wolf of Snow Hollow did a very excellent job. Yeah, I remember turning to you and saying, like, who is this actor and why isn't he famous? That's because right. It was just so funny and so a performance that kind of leapt off the screen a little bit, even though the movie was kind of so-so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I saw what he was trying to do because I didn't realize until afterwards he was also the director and the writer. That's right. And was a triple threat in that movie. He acted his ass off too. He did. He did a really good job. And there, I mean, like you can only imagine that he was writing a script and thinking about, you know, like who can play this part. And really, if you're writing something, you know, and you're the best person for the role, then you do it. And you also direct yourself, you know? So yeah, I agree. The movie was just so, so, but his performance was good. And it was a well-written, funny movie, you know, another one of those examples of comedy shining through the horror this year. You know, also we have a huge amount of like special mentions. New mutants finally came out and we saw that and it wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wasn't awesome either, but some really cool performances by cow eyes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> go listen to our outtakes everybody you need to and and uh i would say that we both really enjoyed anything for jackson yeah i really did enjoy anything for jackson again it's another example of some comedy shining through the horror right yeah. and i mean it, in any year like i needed to laugh in 2020 but not have to leave my chosen genre and it was good i thought the performances in that were also great so it's also on shutter it's easily found yeah um, another thing that's on Shudder uh, is a documentary called Leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist. And it is just an amazing movie. Like, yeah. I never thought that I would be able to sit down and just watch William Friedkin talk for two hours staring at a camera. But it is engrossing. And I learned a lot, you know. I mean, like, I don't really understand some of the technical stuff about filmmaking. Um, but he talks about it. And it's sort of like, you know, in a, a layman sense. I mean, he talks about inspiration and and stuff like that. So I really think that people should go and watch that it would have made my top 10 list but i don't i don't know about putting a documentary on there right it's not a horror movie it's just about horror movies sure so um yeah but i think that's those are some of the movies that you know sort of were close to my top 10 well also you gave rated something a five star recently about um the serial killer yeah there was a series on hbo um and it's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And I, I read the book, too, which is heartbreaking. And it's just like one of the worst serial killer like ever in like American history or world history. And it's just a really good documentary um, and scary because it talks about his crimes. But it's one of those things that sort of like uplifts the victims more than it does the killer. Like there's not a lot of glorifying in that. And um, he was a rapist as well. And so he has a lot of survivors and a lot of it's about like what it is to survive an attack like that. And it's just a very, very good series to watch. So if you have HBO Max, certainly go and watch that. Um, I do have a question for you. So, right. So there's a, Obviously, there are movies in 2020 that we didn't get to see. Is there anything that you missed in 2020 that you sort of like want to watch sort of high on your watch list if you got to go back and watch it? You know, I'm not sure how to answer that. I do feel guilty for not seeing Swallow since it's so high on your list. Yeah. I mean, you have so many reasons as to not. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's understandable. But one Um, one for me is um, 
and it's it's on Netflix, so there's no reason why I shouldn't have watched it. And that was I'm thinking of ending things. Yes, God, I knew we forgot something. Something, so many things slipped through the cracks, but so many things kind of presented themselves at the very end of the year, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and this is something that I was looking forward to watching, but I mean, and I I will sit down and watch it. And I just don't know why I haven't, you know. That's sort of horror adjacent anyway, I think, but. Yeah, that's sort of high on my list to watch for 2020 still. So what are things, some things you're looking forward to in 2021? Um, obviously, a big one for both of us is Candyman, I think. Yeah, Candyman should be coming out in August. I think technically is when the new release date is. A lot of the movies that we talked about on our last yearly review, looking forward to 2020, have been pushed back, right? So a lot of it's the same. Candyman, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we know that Warner Brothers is going to be putting out movies on HBO Max, we have more access to them, right? So Conjuring 3 should be coming out, okay. uh, which I have liked that series quite a bit. James Wan's new movie, Malignant, should be coming out on HBO Max. Oh, he's returning to horror? That's right. Nice. Um, the James Wan produced uh, Mortal Kombat. Is coming out, and that's. Oh, I thought be... he was directing. No, I was wrong about that. I thought that he was a director too. He's just a producer, but I mean, anything that he touches to me is almost gold, right? So, mm. I'll, I'll watch that. But yeah, Candyman, um, A Quiet Place Two is supposed to come out again this oh, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, essentially anything that's on our list that from our last yearly review is supposed to be coming out this year. So, what what about you? What do you want to see most? Oh, I don't know. Gosh, Dune. <laughs> Dude, yeah, Dune's probably super high. That's an HBO movie too, right? It'll be on HBO. Uh, possibly. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that once they've made a commitment and signed into some contract, I think you'll be seeing Dune this year for sure. You just won't be seeing it in the theater, probably. Well, that's fine because of, I have a brand new setup. That's right, the best setup. Actually, I'm going to stop watching movies at my house and just come to yours from yeah. now on because I'm safe over here, and um, there's not a whole bunch of stupid people not wearing masks. Thank you. <laughs> I think. <laughs> But listeners, we want to know what movies you're looking forward to in 2021 and also what your favorites for 2020 are. So head over to social media. You can find us at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and let us know what your thoughts are. You can also email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com, or even better, call our hotline and let us know what your favorites were and what you're looking forward to at 972-666-7733. That's right. Let your voice be heard. So me and Chris talk about ratings a lot on the show and you can follow us the film flamers and us individually on letterboxd and you can find that link in the show notes as well as our lists essentially right here and uh yeah we'll be uh we'll be publishing our top tens on social media and letterboxd so you will not miss it if you go online and search for us that's right and also we'll get to see like what movies you're watching as well so um, join us over on patreon.com slash the film flamers for all of our bonus content. We have, um, a poll coming out this month. So all of our patrons will be choosing from a list of Stephen King movies for us to cover in our flamers flashback. That's right. And it's been a long time since we've had a review. So, uh, if you feel so inclined, if you like our show, head over to Apple podcasts or iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a little snippet about why you like us. And we'll read that on shooting the flames. That's right. Last one was last September. So uh, let's kick the year off. Right. Please, please. We really want 2021 to be good. And that's the best, best way to do it. And stay tuned for next week when we're dropping the shining. That's right. Well, I think that just about wraps up 2020 and our discussion about it. May we forever forget the things that happened in 2020, but never forget the movies that we saw. You're here. Unless I'm stupid. (laughs) Lest we forget. (laughs) 
Well, until next time, sweet dreams. I wish I had some sort of quotable quote from a like horror movie now or something funny, but I can't even remember. All the funny horror movies I saw, I can't remember any of the fucking dialogue. It's terrible. Here's your fucking courtesy tap. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'm unhinged. Love it.